Well, as you're being seated, if you will find your Bible, uh, we're going to be in the book of Job today, and we're going to be all over the book of Job, so uh, you'll want to keep your Bible open. Thursday night, I heard Gianna Jessen speak, and she's a young woman. She was born in April of 1977, and she's been through all sorts of adversity in her life because she was born during a failed saline abortion. And so uh, when she came into this world, she weighed two and a half pounds. The attending nurse there uh, recognized her life and sent her to the hospital. Uh, She had very little chance to live at that point. She was put in an incubator and days went by and she just kept on surviving. It, It turns out that she has cerebral palsy from the event. Uh, As they began to realize that she was going to make it, uh, she was placed in foster care. That did not go well for her because it was a very difficult environment for her. Eventually, she was adopted, but she's dealt with a lot of lifelong issues, and she's always had to really work hard to overcome in her life. And so as I was listening to her speak, one of the things that struck me is that she never, she never whined, she never asked, why me? In fact, she said something that got my attention. She said, I'm thankful for the gift of cerebral palsy. And then she went on to share that it was her cerebral palsy that had been a great opportunity uh, for her to be able to reach out and help others through her own, their own difficulties. We are in a series of messages that I've called The Opportunity of Adversity. And in these messages, we're talking about the difficulties with which we all face and wrestle with, and and they can come in a lot of different packages. They can be relational difficulties, work difficulties. Many of us have faced the hailstorms and all the challenges that that brought with us. Sometimes the difficulties that we face are not uh, life-shattering, and sometimes they can be very deep and very, very personal. But let me ask you this question. In your life, what adversity are you facing right now? And then secondly, when adversity comes, are you able to see and seize the opportunities Or do you get seized by the why me's? Last week we looked at Romans chapter 8. and We tried to lay a theological foundation for dealing with the, the, the fallen state in which we live, the fallen world in which we live. And we talked about three things in regards to God's plan. Number one, God's plan seeks to liberate what He creates. When Christ came the first time, He sought to liberate us from the bondage of sin upon our lives. When Christ returns, and it's important for you to have an understanding of the return of Christ and the reality of heaven, because when Christ returns the second time, He will liberate the creation, the shalom of creation that was broken in Eden will be restored, and Christ God will once again reign over His creation. So we saw how God seeks to liberate that which He creates. Secondly, we talked about how God's plan is always more immense than what I can sense. And thirdly, God vindicates what He dictates. Now today, 
And in the coming weeks, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at some examples from the Old Testament. Bible men and women uh, who faced adversity were able to seize the opportunities in the midst of their adversity, were able to press forward in faith rather than retreating in fear. The reality is, is that much of what God is doing in your life right now is beyond your finite ability to see it, to hear it, to understand it completely, and beyond your ability to control it. But our God is always at work. The quote from Desiring God Ministries that at any given time, God may be doing 10,000 different things in your life, three of which you are aware of. God is always at work in our lives, and often God's greatest work is done during our times of adversity. That doesn't mean that everything is good, there is real evil, there is real suffering, but it's during those times of adversity that God grows us, stretches us, draws us to Himself, and also connects us to other special people in our lives. It was an adverse time in Israel's history. They were enslaved to the Egyptians. If you were a young child born in that time period, you didn't have hope. You didn't have dreams. You were going to live out your entire life as a slave. But then God called a great liberator. And Moses, in an act of faith, trusted God and an opportunity was born. There was great adversity in Ruth's life. Her husband had died. She was now a widow at a young age. The society in which she lived didn't offer her much hope for a young widow, but God called her to a new beginning. And in an act of faith, Ruth trusted God, and an opportunity was born. Bartimaeus had lived his whole life blind. He was scorned by society. He lived in an environment where they felt if you were blind, you had been punished by God. He had no hopes and dreams. His life was going to be lived out, sitting beside the street, begging for enough money to eat and to carry on with life for another day. But then one day, Jesus passed by, and in an act of faith, Bartimaeus trusted God, and opportunity was born. It was a horrible time in Esther's life. She had lived somewhat of a charmed existence, She was a beautiful young woman, and because of that, she had become queen. People had recognized her and loved her for her great beauty, but now she found herself in a situation where her people were on the brink of genocide, and her husband had been deceived by an evil man. But then, in an act of faith, going beyond superficial realities, Esther became a woman of great courage, and she trusted God, and from that act of faith, opportunity was born. In every adversity, there is always opportunity, and when we find ourselves in difficulty, that is a moment where we have to decide, am I going to press forward in faith, or am I going to retreat in my fears? Last night was prom night for many of our students around the area, and so I was on Facebook, and I was kind of just checking in with people's lives, and I noticed that a lot of of pictures, there were a lot of pictures of kids going to prom, and so I was enjoying those and, and, you know, seeing these kids grow up. It's one of the cool things about being a pastor, but then I had this horrifying moment. 
where I realized that I'm the dad of daughters. And one day, they're going to grow up, and there's going to be some pencil-neck geek that, that wants to take them to prom. And that was a very difficult moment for me. Now, fortunately... I also found there on the World Wide Web uh, that a father had put together an application for dating his daughter. And so I found some solace in that application. It had some good questions on there like, in 50 words or less, don't touch my daughter means to you. Or in 50 words or less, what does late mean to you? Uh, I liked this part. He had complete the following sentence. If I were shot, the last place I'd want to be shot is blank. Uh, the one thing I hope this application doesn't ask is blank. My personal favorite was, what do you want to be if you grow up? And then right before he had the young man sign it, he had them put the name and location of their dentist. To me, that was greatness, you know. Uh, Well, our man Job, the guy that we're going to look at today, he was the kind of man that a father wants his little girl to grow up and marry. Job was a good guy. He was the kind of guy that you trusted. If you have children, you would trust Job to watch your children. He was a man of great integrity, and he was a godly man. His story begins in chapter 1 and verse 1. There was a man of the country of Uz named Job, and he was a man of perfect integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. His estate included 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Job was the kind of guy that whenever you were walking down the street with your nephew or with your son Whenever you were walking down the street with the kids that you teach, you would say to them, hey, that's an example for you. He's the kind of guy that you need to grow up to be. He's a good man. But then God allowed into Job's life adversity. Now, it wasn't because Job was being punished. In fact, the Bible specifically says that this adversity was allowed into Job's life because God wanted to provide for him a stage upon which he could demonstrate his faith. And so we see in verse 13 what is perhaps the most horrible day you could imagine, a terrible day in Job's life. One day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and reported, while the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing nearby, the Sabaeans swooped down. And took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported A lightning storm struck from heaven, and it burned up the sheep and the servants and devoured them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. That messenger was still speaking when yet another came and reported. The Chaldeans formed three bands, made a raid on the camels, and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. 
and suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people so that they died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. What a tragic situation. Around our house this week, uh, my wife declared an electronics fast. And so uh, we've been going without television, without electronics for a few days in our house. No iPad video games. And so my six-year-old is enduring all this. If you know McKenna, she's very expressive. And she just kind of looks at us and goes, Worst day ever! And that's exactly what Job really had. He had the worst day ever. Question for you. How would you respond in this situation? Job had lost everything that he had worked for. Not only did he lose his stuff, but he also lost his employees, and so his ability to regain what he had lost was very diminished. There was no Allstate to call. There was no government to offer a bailout. Everything was just gone. Now, Job was human. And one of the things I love about this story is if you read the book of Job in its entirety, you see his hurt. You feel his deep suffering. He didn't just go through this like a robot. He hurt. He embraced the pain that he felt. Yet in verse 22, the scriptures say, throughout all this Job did not sin or blame God for anything. Now, just whenever you thought this was about as bad as it could get, the situation gets worse. Because God then allowed sickness to come upon Job. And Job was infected with boils that began at his toes and reached all the way to the top of his head. So the scene shifts. In chapter 2, we find Job at the ash heap of the city. The ash heap of the city was where they took all the trash. It was where they burned everything. It's where they brought the refuse. It was also the graveyard of the city. You didn't want to go to the ash heap. And there's Job sitting in the ash heap, and he has a potsherd, a piece of pottery, and he's rubbing his skin in order to try to find some relief. And in verse 9, his wife says to him, Do you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die. Basically, she's saying to Job, Why don't you just go kill yourself? Why are you hanging on to all this stuff? What, What do you have to live for? Just end it all. He says to her, You speak as a foolish woman speaks. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? Throughout all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Now, when Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite, heard about all this adversity that had happened to him, each of them came from his home, and they met together to go and sympathize with him and to comfort him. When they looked from a distance, they could barely recognize him. And so they wept aloud, and each man tore his robe. That was an act of great grief whenever you would tear your robe and put ashes on your head. So they tore their robe and threw dust in the air and on his head. 
And then they sat on the ground with him seven days and nights, but no one spoke a word to him because they saw that his suffering was very intense. Job is at rock bottom. His own wife is telling him, you need to kill yourself and end it. His friends that he probably grew up with, they they don't know what to say to Job. Now again, he's human. Suffering will always take you on an emotional roller coaster, and the Bible doesn't hide that. I even think of our own Lord who, when his friend Lazarus died, Jesus wept. Whenever Jesus was facing the cross and he goes to the fragrant garden of Gethsemane, there his soul is grievous to the point of death and he pours out his emotion before the Lord. Job is not a robot through all of this. He is going through real suffering, real emotion, and you see that begin to unfold in the story. Let's look at the roller coaster. In chapter 7, Job's in the God is punishing me stage. Verse 20, he says, If I have sinned, what have I done to you, watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your target so that I have become a burden to you? Why not forgive my sin and pardon my transgression? For soon I will lie down in the grave, and you will eagerly seek me, but I will be gone. Well, when we get to chapter 13, Job's now on the hill of faith. And he's now at a point where he's like, I'm going to keep trusting God. And so in verse 15, he says, Even if he kills me, I will hope in him. I will still defend my ways before him. When you get to chapter 19, Job is at that stage where he's like, God's about to show up. God's about to do something. We're about to experience the breakthrough. And in verse 25, he says, But I know my living Redeemer, and He will stand on the dust at last. You get to chapter 22, and the story takes a twist because his friend Eliphaz, the same friend that earlier came and sat with him and did not know what to say, now Eliphaz is raining down condemnation upon him. He's criticizing him, saying, hey, Job, you must have done something really bad. He says in verse 5, of chapter 22, isn't your witness, wick, wickedness abundant, and aren't your iniquities endless? God's punishing you, man. Well, what did you do? We've grown up together. I know you well. Man, you must have really done something wrong. In chapter 30, Job's at that point where he cries out, God, where are you? Verse 20 says, he cries out to you for help. I cry out to you for help. But you do not answer me. When I stand up, you merely look at me. There are times when each of us get on board that coaster. And we buckle ourselves in. We make sure we're secure. Make sure the bar is down. And we find ourselves riding the roller coaster of adversity. We find ourselves experiencing some turns that we didn't anticipate, and we find ourselves on the ups, and we find ourselves on the downs. And I, I want you to know that it's okay to have questions. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to feel. That's all part of the human experience. Know that when God allows suffering, He always grants us His presence, and He uses adversity to draw us closer to himself 
And he also uses it to draw us closer to others. God's plan is always more immense than what I can sense. The theologian Jim Dennison likes to make the sentence that God will redeem what he allows. You see, when God allows something into the life of his child, his love and his wisdom ensure that on the other side of darkness, God is doing something, and it's holy, and it's good. So whenever you find yourself in adversity, do you retreat in fear, or do you go forward in faith? In the midst of trouble, do you retreat into isolation and build a wall of cynicism around you and make sure that nobody gets close to you because nobody's going to hurt you again? Or do you continue to move forward in faith, looking for those opportunities even in the moments of tragedy? When you find yourself in adversity, do you see the abundance of your problems? Or are you able to see the newness of your opportunities? Well, in time, Job reached a point where he was able to trust God's plan. And eventually, he was able to see God redeem what he allowed. In verse 2 of chapter 42, Job says to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours will be thwarted. Basically, Job was saying, God, I know that you vindicate whatever you dictate. You can do anything. In verse 10, Job prays for his friend. Now remember, his friend was the one that was saying, hey, Job, it's your fault. He prays for that friend and then the Lord restores his prosperity and doubled his previous possessions. All his brothers and sisters and former acquaintances came to his house and dined with him in his house, and they sympathized with him and comforted him concerning all the adversity the Lord had brought on him. So even after the Lord restored everything, there was still reason to comfort Job and to sympathize with him. Each one gave him a kesita and a gold earring. Verse 12 says, So the Lord blessed the last part of Job's life more than the first, and he owned 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. He had 10 more children. Job lived 140 years after this and saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. Then Job died old and full of days. Now, I want us to ask a question for Job, a question that he didn't completely ask. And that question is why? Why would God allow a good man like Job to lose all of his stuff, to lose his children, to lose his wife, to lose his health? Now, I will say this. I don't have all the answers to why. A theologian that gives you all the answers to the whys of life is a scary theologian because there's always more to God than what we know. Our God is not so small that we can contain Him to all of our little cliches and easy answers. But I do want to talk about a few reasons that we can see as to why God allowed Job to go through this season of suffering. Number one... God was giving Job the opportunity to demonstrate his faith. In his adversity, Job's faith was demonstrated 
in a very genuine, authentic manner. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, the Bible says, Now without faith it is, does anybody know the word? Impossible to please God. It doesn't say it's challenging. It says it's impossible to please God without faith. For the one who draws near to Him must believe that He exists and rewards those who seek Him. Now notice four things. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Number two, faith requires you to draw near to God. You see, if you retreat from God into your fears, it is a retreat from faith. As you draw near to God, God births within you a faith that can transcend you beyond your own abilities. God gives you the gift of faith. Thirdly, to, we are to believe in God's presence. You see, whenever we scream, at, when we knock on the portals of heavens and we cry, God, why? He doesn't always give us the answers to the whys, but He always grants us His presence. And we believe in God's presence, and we embrace that, and we find strength from that. Fourth, we trust in His reward. We trust that on the other side of the darkness, God is holy, and God is loving, and He is doing something good. And through our adversity, God draws us closer to Himself, and He also connects us with other people so that our lives can be given out in service as well. Secondly, God used Job to show us how faith pushes through doubt. It's normal for you to have doubts. It's normal for you to have questions. Some people think that if I have doubts or questions that somehow I'm abandoning God. No, the opposite of faith is unbelief. There are times where we have doubts, where we have questions. What saving faith does is it pushes through those doubts and questions back to God. It moves forward in faith. Faith pushes through doubt towards belief. Cynicism analyzes doubt towards unbelief. Third, God was going to use Job's faith to speak to millions of people during their time of pain. One of the things that's amazing to me about this story is that it took place over 3,000 years ago. In fact, some people chronologically put Job before Abraham. And God is still using Job's story, his faith, today. Imagine telling Job when he was sitting in the ash heap, Hey, Job, I'm a visitor from the future. And I just want you to know that 3,000 years from now, People are going to be sitting in a church hearing about your story of faith in the Americas. Job could have never even comprehended such a thing. It would have all been foreign to him. And yet God took this man thousands of years ago, his faith, how he persevered through adversity, how he felt the similar pain that we similar pains to what we feel. And even today, uh, we're learning from him and we're seeing how his faith. Uh, strengthens us. So here you are today, and you're sitting on your own ash heap of adversity. What's it going to be? Are you going to scrape your sores and sing the 10th verse of why me? 
as you retreat backwards in fear, isolate yourself, disconnect from God and disconnect from other people, and not experience the joys and the faith and the love that God has for you? Or are you going to trust God? Are you going to realize that even though His script may differ from the script that you wrote from your own life, for your own life, that God is good and He's in control? And even though there is such a thing as evil and there is such a thing as suffering and we would never want to minimize that or discard that, in every adversity there is also opportunity. Are you going to seize that opportunity and go forward in faith? I do not wish suffering for you. I don't wish you to have to go through difficulty. But I also don't want you to have a life void of risk. I don't want you to have a life that is just completely safe and sterile and locked away where you never really experience any of the adventures and the opportunities for growth that God has for you. I'm not sure why it is exactly that in life our greatest seasons of growth usually come out of pain. But that's true in a lot of areas, academically, physically, relationally. When we persevere through the struggle, we mature, we grow. And sometimes in life, you have to take that step of risk. You have to realize that I don't have all the answers. I can't see everything, but I'm going to trust God. And I'm going to believe in Him. And I'm going to believe that as I trust Him and go forward, that He's going to bring opportunities into my life to know Him better and to connect to other people around me. And so I'm going to go forward in faith. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? The musicians are going to come and they're going to lead us in singing. I'll be here at the front. If today needs to be a day of salvation in your life, I would love to help you with that decision. If there's anything that I may pray with you about, it's always my joy to be a pastor to you and to pray with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and we thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that even though we don't have all the answers and we can't see everything that's ahead, that we know that you will be with us every step of the way. So, Lord, I pray that we might trust in you. And I pray, Lord, that you might give us the wisdom that we seek to see the opportunities that are in adversity, to be able to see the possibilities and to see how you are at work and how you are growing us as people, but also growing our lives towards others so that we're able to encourage them, serve them, help them as they go through their own journey. Thank you, Father, for connecting us together as a church where we have other people that are going through the journey of life. and There we develop friendships and there we find strength from one another where iron sharpens iron as we grow in you. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to find the opportunities in adversity. It's in Jesus' name we pray.